everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities presents Hometown Haunts. And I have with me Christina Wald and Jen Kohler. <laughs> and I am your host, Kat Cloco, forgetting everyone's names left and right. So, and also I want to say happy birthday, Christina. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Getting well established in my crondom. Yes. I want to welcome everyone for coming back for episode two. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, first, Christina, you have news about our Kickstarter and also our Discord at the X's Crossroads. So, uh, yeah, Cartoon Colum Crossroads Columbus. That's what it is. And that's where the X is. Uh, Columbus or Cartoon Crossroads, Crossroads Columbus. Columbus and we will edit this so it sounds like we knew what we were talking about <laughs> uh, sure. yes uh, uh, this week would have been uh, CXC and we were hoping to really push uh, our book which looks amazing by the way all the arts in it's so good it's and so pretty everyone I know there's it, so it, many flaming skulls well yes that, that's that, that's the biggest selling point I think Yes, the flaming skulls. We should uh, make a sticker. A oh flaming gosh, skull why did we sticker. We not think of that till now. Well, I think a flaming skull sticker is what we're going to do, because you can never have too many of them. Um, and down. so uh, our Kickstarter is approved, um, and we are going to launch it a week from today. So next Monday will be our launch party on our episode, and we'll be talking about um, you know all the different rewards and that sort of thing. So right now, if you want to get information, we have a link in the show description where you can get information sent to you when it goes live and back it. Yay. Uh, the book looks really good. Like I said, all we need to do is print it. And actually, there will also be a digital version of it. But if you get the print version of it, we're getting making cool stickers. Uh, there's a lot of really nice options on the Kickstarter. So. Yes. Um, you know, check that out as soon as it's available. And we have a gorgeous cover by Tom Miller, and uh, who is a well-known uh, fantasy and science fiction artist. He actually used to work at Ralph Hertha, and he's done lots of different science fiction um, artwork. He's been doing stuff for Amazing Stories lately, uh, and of course, our Amazing Stories. Uh, mm -hmm. and our back cover is done by Amon Hill and looks really amazing too. So it's just like beautiful. And then inside stories so i hope everybody will pick it up because it, it's a really good read i think and i'm not fine really, <laughs> yeah <laughs> um <laughs> no it's a really good I, I you can tell everyone put a lot of heart and soul into these comics that they all created for it and also tom's work on the cover is fantastic he does a great representation of cincinnati haunts and then amon's i love his uh illustration of the Loveland Castle that's on the cover or back cover and uh, yeah it will be fun um I know Christina and I also have reward tiers where you can get sketches that we're doing of monster well I'm doing monsters but or I guess whatever people want but I like monsters so I, I don't know cryptid sounded like something fun to sketch so yeah the cryptids are always fun like you got yeah. random hair I like drawing hair and teeth and tentacles and claws scales it's, it's kind of a nice diversion because you know my day job a lot of times i'm painting animal books yeah and it's nice to do cryptids because they're sort of animal fusions yes and sometimes when i'm doing school visits i'll do uh 
cross animals where we'll say mix a lion and a parakeet and <laughs> the kids love it like i'll say you know what do you want me to draw and we'll do combinations and that's always really i mean I get, kids love watching you draw live and, and do really weird creatures so i think i think it's a really fun aspect yeah but oh, yeah. yeah so the kickstarter's heating up and you know this is a great book so i hope everybody will look at it we also have videos about each of our locations on our youtube that we've made where cat explains the secret behind each location we're going to talk about one of the locations tonight and yeah we will yeah and um that should be really interesting yeah so i did voiceover work christina did the camera work for a lot of these locations and i gave the very quick history rundown like for cincinnati music hall my goodness, our quick history was what, easily two minutes, three minutes long. And that was edited down. And that was, yeah. So that one has a lot of history to it. But um, yeah, it's, they're fun. And you if you just. season on Music Hall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we could. It's a fun book. I, as I, I'm the editor, so I'm a bit biased, I guess. But it's fun. It's very full of Cincinnati folklore but you don't have to be from Cincinnati to really appreciate our Loveland Frogman or the mermaids or our ghosts and old music halls. It's, mm -hmm. you have a lot of, I'm going to say good and Midwest hauntings. So. And then also as part of CXC, since they can't have it live, obviously mm -hmm. we are going to be doing a sort of live chat on discord um, I'm doing one Friday at two and Sunday at one. And I will also post links for that. If you want to hear us talk about the anthology, I think at least Rodney might be with me on one of them or maybe both. And then I'm also going to talk a little bit about my web comic on Friday, which is embrace the crone. Uh, mm -hmm. Lots of crony goodness. Um, <laughs> uh, but I will also put links for that in the description. Speaking about our Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities comics anthology, we can talk about the Sedumsville Rectory, which is part of the Sedumsville neighborhood just west of Cincinnati. And this is the story that I worked on because I have investigated, as in ghost hunted, this location a number of years ago. Now the location is no longer open. I know up until at least 2016, it was available for ghost hunts and overnight stays. It used to be on Airbnb for a while. It's an interesting location. <laughs> Airbnb? It, I think it was listed on Airbnb for a hot minute back like last year or two years ago. So The supernatural um, edition. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of them, that's how they book is through Airbnb. It's an easy way. Um, I stayed at the David Stewart farm in Gettysburg, which was a Confederate field hospital. Oh, wow. And I booked it via Airbnb and also had a whole lot of paranormal experiences on the David Stewart farm. So I stayed in the surgeon's room. So did you stay the night at the rectory? I did not because I lived locally. So I just was there most of the night and went home. Um, so I was there easily from like 6, 5 p.m. until 3 in the morning, two nights in a row. And, but my friends actually stayed at, on the property uh, while we were there. So the history of Sedumsville. 
So Sedumsville was established in 1795 by a Revolutionary War veteran, Cornelius Sedum, which I just love his name, Cornelius. Uh, the Industrial Revolution brought a whole lot of prosperity to the neighborhood, but because it's right on the Ohio River, it tended to flood a lot. And with the Great Depression and the widening of Route 50, it wiped out a good chunk of the neighborhood. So the neighborhood just slowly climbed up the hill, basically, away from the river. What our focus today is on Our Lady of Perpetual Help Parish, which was the backbone of Sedumsville for a good chunk of its history. It was established in 1878 for the German-speaking Catholics who desired to have a school in an area of their own. And the original school and church were along the Ohio River, but due to flooding, they pushed it up onto the higher part of the hill. And they built a new church in 1889 and on Steiner Avenue. And in 1890, they started the rectory's construction and finished in 18, oh, 1891. The school was completed in 1907. Uh, of course, being the 1800s in Cincinnati and the Industrial Revolution, we had a lot of tragic deaths, a lot involving trains. And then this one was in the 1880s, Father Donald McLeod, who is famous for writing the history of the Roman Catholicism in North America, died outside the rectory after being hit by a train. Now he was initially hit by a slow going train um, enough, though, to cause enough brain damage that he died outside the rectory. However, there are records, uh, or sorry, it's been rumored that they had several other priests die of natural causes at the rectory. Uh, the parish was also rumored to be where problematic priests in the Cincinnati Diocese would be relocated so that they would... Uh, Stop harassing their parishioners. So, and there's one very notable one that I am not going to mention by name, but he did live at Sedamsville Rectory or Sedamsville Rectory for a while. Um, in 1976, due to declining enrollment, the school was closed. And 13 years later, in 1989, the entire parish was closed and absorbed into Holy Family Parish in East Price Hill. Uh, the building sat abandoned, and that's where Michael Vick and his dog fighting ring came in. They actually hosted dog fights in the basement boiler room. I've been down in that boiler room. I've seen the cage that they built and the reinforced steel door that they used. Every surface of the basement and first floor and second floor is clawed up. The closets are clawed out. You can see teeth marks everywhere. Um, and actually, when I visited, it was still considered not an active crime scene because people could obviously get in, but the police and detectives would come in once in a while to collect more evidence. A lot of it was in the basement. There actually were some old wire crates still in the basement when I visited. Uh, paranormal activity has been reported at both the rectory and in the former school from people that I talked to that lived in the area. The school was notably more haunted than the rectory. The rectory seems to have gotten more popular in the past decade as a haunted location. It may be because it was easier to get into because you could reserve it on Airbnb or whatever other reservation method that you had. 
The apparitions that are seen most often are Father McLeod walking up Steiner Avenue, as well as a ghost of a small boy or a small child and another adult male who were thought to have died on Steiner Avenue. How? I don't know. Disease, gunshots, another train accident. You know those trains. They're just everywhere. Um, it, but they've been seen walking up and down. Uh, the ghosts of dogs have been witnessed walking through the hallways, especially the upstairs hallway, peering into dimly lit rooms. And the apparition of a former priest has been seen several times around the first floor, especially in the library and main hallway. Paranormal investigators have reported being attacked by unseen forces, scratched by unseen entities, pushed, incidents of lost time, the sounds of knocking on the walls and footsteps around the hallways. And in my case, I witnessed a doppelganger there, which is one of those very rare paranormal experiences that usually is saved for only the most special places like Waverly Hill Sanatorium. Yeah. So what was your reaction? Did you realize what you were looking at when you first saw it? Uh, no. So you want, want me to... Um... Yes. <laughs> okay, we'll start. I just looked kind of the etymology of doppelganger and i'm sorry all of our german speaking listeners i am totally butchering doppelganger but that's how we pronounce it in the united states anyway so a doppel literally just means double and ganger means walker or goer and they are a loan word but english actually does have a word it's called a fetch which is for an apparition of a living person, which is what a doppelganger basically is. So we no longer use fetch anymore unless we're listening to Mean Girls, but <laughs> that's the old term for a apparition of a living person. And it's been recorded a lot of, we have a lot of um, accounts of those types of apparitions going on in at least European history, but they really kind of are everywhere. So going on with my personal experience, um, I did, I'm changing some of the names of my friends that I was there with just because for confidentiality, but there were five of us that night. Um, so in the anthology installment it's actually just a very condensed version of my two nights there so it's based on true events for the anthology i am now going to tell you my version of events um both the two of the other members of our group have also on media talked about their experience so in my series in my story there's becca and jerry and um and then myself so i only limited it to three characters just for ease of reading but we actually had two other people we had carrie and we also have ruth we'll go with ruth and uh so i got there it was a friday saturday night investigation and i had been invited by becca and jerry because they felt we all work in the paranormal as authors and they had the opportunity and took the opportunity to rent the Sidemsville rectory for the entire weekend. And they're not from Cincinnati. So they are just doing dark tourism basically of the location. And I am, and then Ruth and Carrie were from Indiana. 
but we all knew each other because we've seen each other at other events. So I get there around 5 p.m. We order pizza. Uh, Jerry has to go get the pizza because at the time no one would actually deliver to the area. It's not, at the time it was not, the. it was a pretty rough area. Um, I think it's gotten better because you were just there, Christina. Um, it was so just, it felt pretty abandoned actually. Yeah, um, now it's It looks abandoned. like it could be a really neat area to revitalize. Um, yeah. I'm assuming the trains are by the river because it's on a steep incline. It's very steep incline. So yeah. um, we get there, we have dinner. We do our first night. Friday night's investigations actually were really boring. Most paranormal investigation is very boring. Most paranormal investigation, what we find are raccoons or possums. That's usually what we find in people's homes. It's, uh, I can't tell you how many times I have been to an investigation where we've had living raccoons in ductwork. <laughs> so um, this, that was not the case here, but there just wasn't a lot going on. You'd occasionally hear a car go by. It was, for lack of a better term, pretty dead. Um, but the interesting thing about particularly haunted locations is they don't ever perform on command. So you could be there for an entire week and nothing would happen, but it does tend to slowly build energy. And I will note that there was only one male in our group. It was Jerry. The rest of us were all females. And you have four females and one male in an old priest rectory things may start getting a little weird paranormal speaking so um the next night saturday night i get there and we i brought food that time and we have dinner and we start the investigation and the rectory is an interesting building because basically the hallway just splits it right in two on both the first and second floors and the north side of the building always felt very comfortable and jovial almost. And the south side, which is where the parlor rooms were, felt very heavy and depressing. And like I said, we had investigated and Jerry actually had an incident of lost time. He reported it when I arrived on Saturday afternoon and Basically, he went into the basement, and he, for him, this is how he explained it. He went, goes down to the basement and was there for five minutes looking around and then came back up. But according to Becca, he had been gone, like, just standing in a daze for an hour or so. Like, he didn't recall that at all. And very uncharacteristic of them, because Becca and Jerry are two of the most down-to-earth people um that you can investigate with very no nonsense very analytical and um i i like investigating with them um so we used a few different itc devices those are devices that you use to try to communicate with the dead um i use an ovilus um at the time i had something that was experimental that was um, before the ovilus was made, I called it the yodeler because it would use phonics to actually make words instead of having pre-programmed words. So whomever you're talking to had to use their own phonics 
to be able to speak. So in that case, you can actually get not just English, you could get it in different languages. So I've had responses in Japanese and Chinese and stuff when, um, or even Spanish when using the yodeler. So we were there, and in this case, it spoke, spoke English to us, but um, we got in touch with a recently deceased former investigator we all knew, which was very interesting and touching. And then our night got very weird. So I, I will say I've been investigating for over a decade now, different locations. Um, most of the time, I don't expect anything to happen other than raccoons and possums. And anything greater than that is going to be a much more interesting night. And we're sitting around in the dark, waiting for something to happen. And I look over into the hallway, and at that time we were in the upstairs room that has a couch. I believe it leads into the servants' quarters up into the attic. And it looks like it was just actually a lounge area for the priests at the time, or another bedroom. And it's a room that had uh, two doors, one into the main upstairs hallway and one into the servants' staircase to go up or not even servants, it was just a staircase going up into the uh, attic. And I'm sitting on the couch, I look over into the main hallway, and I watch the apparitions of two very defined pit bulls walk past the door. And one of them looked directly in at us. It did not have red glowing eyes, I was kind of disappointed, but it looked directly at us, sniffed, and then continued walking. And you can see the little tail whip or their whip of their tail as they walked by. And I mean, you could see they had very large blocked heads. You can see their um, orbital crest at the very top and their ears, but they weren't pointed. They looked like they had been clipped a little bit or bitten off. They're kind of jagged. They weren't bloody. They, they were just ghostly pit bulls that had seen a thing or two in their lives. And I point this out. I was the only one who saw them. Um, we did start getting some weird mumblings over um, one of the ITC devices. Then when we moved into the southern side of the house, into one of the upstairs bedrooms, we got a very loud get out. It was more like a metal band sang it, like, get out, like that. Ooh. Yeah, that made all of us wake up because suddenly you have adrenaline because something has growled at you. That was very obviously... Human. what time was the get out around 10 p.m so fresh it was early in the evening um because when you do so many investigations you get used to staying up till three so 10 is just like <laughs> that's so easy so that of course was concerning but all of us are veteran Ill I almost said illustrators, <laughs> um, investigators. So um, we were just like, okay, something's here, but that doesn't mean to actually get out. It means now we actually do our work. And so we pressed it for more information. And um, it just said, get out a few times, made more grunts and stuff. And then out of nowhere, it just, I'm going to use a word. We can bleep it out with the goat sound if we want. It said, Becca's a whore um, over the speaker. And Becca immediately whips and she's just like, what did you just call me? And Jerry's just like, 
calm down. <laughs> it's wow. just egging you on. And she's just like, there was no need to call me that. We've just met. And um, he he was just like, no, it's, we're going to keep working at this. We're getting somewhere. Which is true. When you start getting action like that from, um, wow, that sounded weird. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> when you start getting vocalizations like that from ITC devices, that means you're getting somewhere and kind of interviewing whomever is there. Um, we started seeing orbs, which were self-illuminating balls of light going up and down the hallways. And that was crazy. I've only seen it in one other location that I've investigated, and that was at a funeral home in Indiana. And we follow it out of the room. And because when you see something paranormal happening, you follow it when you're investigating. And we go down the stairs and I look into the, the library and all the lights are off, but there's so much ambient light from the outside uh, street lights that you don't need lights. You can see everything pretty, pretty well. We get down the stairs and right at the foot of the stairs to your left is the entrance into the library and standing there with these huge mutton chops was a priest. I don't know who he was. What actually caught my attention was his super shiny patent leather shoes. Like there were those like wing back type uh, shoes. They were very shiny because they caught my attention and I look up and it was just inky darkness. And then you can see the white of his collar and then his gray mutton tops. And he had short hair that was kind of parted to the side like mine and uh, um, pushed to the side. So he was definitely an older gentleman, but not so old that he couldn't stand straight. He was easily six foot because he was fitting, barely fitting into the door frame. And he was wearing small spectacles that were circular, kind of reminded me of um, John Lennon almost with the types of glasses that he was wearing. And then he realized that I had noticed him and immediately stepped backwards and went into the darkness. And I was just like, did anybody else see him? And no one else, of course, saw him because that's how ghosts go. One person at a time tends to see them. So spooky. It was very spooky. We took a break, um, kind of composed ourselves because we had had already a lot of activ paranormal activity for just about two hours worth of time. So around midnight, we um, start working again and we're just on the first floor and nothing happened in the library, nothing was happening in the dining room, which are all on the north side of the building. But when we went into the parlors, both the formal and the men's parlor in the back, things started getting really weird. We started seeing a shadow person walking around on the first floor, which is pretty common in haunted locations. It's a pretty com re commonly reported thing, uh, which is basically, it looks like a person walking around, but they're a shadow and light can't pass through them. Um, I run into a lot of them in this line of work. Um, and so we see him, um, Becca looks around the hallway, doesn't see anybody, doesn't see anyone outside. 
Um, like we mentioned earlier, it's not exactly a well lived in area. There, it's a lot of abandoned properties, so no one's really around. Um, and uh, so we are in the formal parlor, which is across from the kitchen. It's what I called the former parlor anyway. And if you can imagine, there are two sitting chairs that are in either corner and I'm looking directly at the main hallway. So it's myself and Jerry are on these individual chairs. And then Becca is in a chair facing away towards uh, Jerry. And then um, Carrie and Ruth, who have been pretty quiet this entire time, um, were sitting across from me and they were also looking into the building or towards me. So we have the lights off, yet again, lots of ambient light, and we're just asking questions. Nothing is coming through on the ITC, but according to Becca, who's sitting just diagonally across the room from me, it looks like this gigantic shadow person is leering over me with their hands like this, like they're trying to choke me. And that um, I got goosebumps remembering that. And... I was just like, okay, no, that's not cool. Pretending to choke someone is just not cool. We're not going to do that kind of stuff. But it kind of upset Ruth and Carrie enough, along with all the rest of the phenomena we had witnessed, that um, they wanted to turn the lights on and end the evening. So we turned the lights on, we end the evening, and uh, Becca was busy with Ruth, in that main hallway so they're in this hallway in between the kitchen hallway and then the parlor where we're at and i'm just talking to jerry um just about stuff that movies we had seen or something and i watched ruth walk back into the room towards carrie and carrie was kind of loosely listening to what jerry and i were talking about and becca is still in the hallway and she's uh, writing something in a book uh, like a notebook on one of the heaters. It's, it's like a, oh, what is it? It's just, it's a heater basically that was all against the wall and it wasn't turned on. So it wasn't hot. And she was writing something in a notebook and out from the front of the building. So basically where the staircase is, another roof walks up to, to Becca and starts talking to her. And Becca has her head down. She's actually not looking at Ruth. But I'm watching this Ruth, and this Ruth has her back turned to me and her arms up like this. So I actually didn't see her hands, but she was wearing the exact same ghost hunting vest that Ruth had been wearing, had the same haircut, the same straight cut jeans, the same tennis shoes, everything that Ruth was wearing. But I couldn't see her face because her back was to me. And Jerry notices that I'm making like this really weird face, like something's not right. And I look at this Ruth and then I look at the other one and then the flag kind of goes up in my head and I kind of smack Jerry and I'm like, Jerry, how many roofs are there? <laughs> and he looks, and he's like, Becca. <laughs> Cause Becca's having this full on conversation with Ruth number two. And she looks up, and as she looks up, the thing turns away so that Becca couldn't see its face and walks towards the front door and fades into the hallway. Wow. 
So by then it's about 1 a.m. And that just, yeah, there's a siren. That just alarmed everyone. And as much as I really wanted to go back and see what was going on, it had unnerved enough of our group that they were just like, we are going to leave now. We are going to lock up and we're not going to come back. And that's basically what happened. It's, they, we locked up, they went back to, I think they slept in their car that night, but I'm, that isn't confirmed. So. Oh, because um, they were allowed to sleep there, right? And yes. so they couldn't, wow, yes. that's one creepy story. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. That is my doppelganger <laughs> story. Um. Nope. I live to tell the tale. I do have a little addendum to ghost with that story. So 2011 was when we adopted my dog Wheatley and he was a puppy and he was potty training at the time. So I get home from um, this investigation and it's of course by this time it's two in the morning. So I let him outside because his little bladder was going to explode. And as I'm walking through my house, I walk through a spider web field. Now, anyone who's actually been a, in, a investigator knows when you walk through the spider web, it feels like you walk through a clammy, cold spider web. And it just kind of gets onto your skin. And it's one of the indicators that something has maybe followed you home. <gasps> and... So I let Wheatley outside and he looks alarmed like something is in the house that he doesn't recognize. And I turn around to inky darkness that is my house and I'm like, whomever has followed me home, get out. You're not allowed to be here. You're not supposed to be here. Go back to uh, Sadamsville where you belong. That's where you're supposed to be. Not in my house in the middle of Cincinnati, scaring my dog. You're not supposed to do that. And we didn't have any problems after that, after I just basically read it. It's right. Let's get out. What was, your, what was your question that you had, Jen? Uh, uh, um, <laughs> breathe. I'm not going to sleep tonight. Thank you very much. Oh, I can't remember. It was something about the conversation with Ruth number two. Yeah, I don't know what it was because it was between Becca. Um, Becca said it sounded exactly like her. Oh, that's terrifying. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so remind me not to go ghost, ghost hunting with you. <laughs> oh no, go ghost hunting with me. No, no I, I, I guarantee you, will see a raccoon. <laughs> see, that Maybe a possum. Worst fear is bringing something home. It's happened. <laughs> that was. I, I got, usually they get as far as my car. Like I had one kicking the back of my seat once. And I was just like, in my best, this was when I was very young. And I, in my best Shatner impersonation, I'm like, you will stop kicking my seat. Go <laughs> out of the car. Henceforth. So like do, do entities usually listen to you when you say, is, is that considered a way to get rid of an entity when you tell them they're not? It's worked for me. Um, I mean, a is lot that of also it, part of the perception of something? Like, it's a lot of the intent. So with like prayer and magic work, it's the intent 
behind the words, not necessarily just the words. So yeah. if you order something to get out and you thoroughly mean just like get out of my house, that usually works if you're dealing with a human entity and some non-human entities. Um, if you're dealing with gin, they may not actually listen because they don't have to. I love dealing with gin. They're fun. <laughs> now we've uh, curl. <laughs> mm. We need to go out and have a beer. <laughs> oh my god. We could do oh a socially god. distant beer where we're like twenty feet apart. We could scream it scream, scream stories it. about gin. Well, and they could you could just be talking to me, Jen. They wouldn't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Jen well, or Jen. Jen. Yeah, genies, Jin. Uh, but I've run into one. And yeah, that was fun. So, <laughs> different story, different time. I mean, this was a really fascinating, you know, and it seems like it made a, a quite an impression on you. It uh, did. Still, I mean, still. Yeah, I remember the night quite vividly. And uh, it was especially that red flag moment when... Mm-hmm. It basically the marching band came uh, illustrator here. The marching band came playing through with big red flags going, This isn't right, something's wrong. <laughs> this isn't right, something's wrong, like that. So um, Well, you know, it's interesting because it seems like, you know, when you look at old houses, for example, um, a lot of things have happened in them. But is in, in your in your studies, is it necessarily that being old is what does this or is that sometimes you get some entity that decides it likes this place like it's it could tr- be a newer place too probably too i mean yes. it depends what energy gets brought there right yeah so it's like trauma to a location so with sedamsville or sedamsville you had a lot of trauma in a location both internal and external So you had flooding, you had the Great Depression, you had random traumatic deaths around the property, and then you had the potential of assault on minors happening in the building, and then you had the assault of dogs on dog or human on dog happening on the property. So there was just a lot of trauma there to begin with. I've been in historic homes where I will walk through and be like, yeah, this place is cool. I totally have a beer here. No problem. And then I've been to places where I'm like, yeah, things feel not quite right. Very tense. Um, But also when, at least with me, when I'm investigating, I take into account what kind of allergens can be in the air as well and cause a lot of problems because I have asthma. So if I inhale a lot of mold, like when I was at Penhurst, that would make me see things. So I bring a lot of inhalers when I'm actually in places like that. It's interesting. Yeah. So you have to be very aware, like how much asbestos is in the air? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah. So that brings me to um, our next topic of discussion, which would be the Dent Schoolhouse. (laughs) All right. Okay. Uh, I can't follow that. (laughs) (laughs) That schoolhouse is weird. It's been stumping all of us. It really has. As a researcher, I love puzzles. This is why I'm in this line of work. Um, 
I, I just love the human enigma puzzle and trying to figure out timelines. So I know we were um, messaging each other earlier. And if you could have seen my geeky face going, oh, I found, I found whoever lived there, whoever owned the property in 1970, I've got the name. Like I'm that dork who gets excited yeah. over history. So um, you yeah. would get along well with my friend Jeff. Uh, Cause I was texting him last night. I'm like, Jeff, because we have spent hours in the Enquirer library mm-hmm. talking about history and all, all sorts of things. I'm like, didn't we have a conversation years ago that basically said that it wasn't a true story about the ongoings at Dent with Charlie and the murdered children? Uh, but Charlie and the murdered children. Coming there to is Roxy nothing. 2022. Yeah. There's nothing. No one has ever done a story on whether or not it's true. And I don't know. That's what bugged me so much about this case was no legend tripping or just looking for the truth. And albeit in the time we allowed it, we didn't have enough time to really sink our teeth into the history. Right. But I found it super weird that I could not easily find photos of classes from dent schoolhouse or sub district number 12 there was no photos no teacher photos but christina you did find one mention of a man who taught there um no class photos no yearbooks that were easily accessible which is weird because it closed in 1950 and i know there were yearbooks there had to books well yeah it in the haunted and that where the haunted house is now, that was an actual school at some point, or was it always something different? It's always been a, it was a school from like the beginning. Some, yeah. Okay. So should we give a rundown? Do you want to give yeah. a rundown of what you got and then we can discuss history? So according to the Hamilton County Auditor's website, it was built in 1900. And from what we found, the school was started in 1849. And that's what fright site says 1849 um, or 94 or yeah 94 94 i might have messed that up sorry all right numbers something it's one of those two (laughs) i think it was uh Um, 94 but basically yeah 94 is correct um the story is that the janitor charlie there were some problem students and from it was like 1942 to 1952 he kid he kid or kidnapped multiple children and murdered them and they didn't find them until there was a stench coming out of the basement at the school and then they went down in the basement and found all these dead bodies right and because at first they were just missing children mm-hmm. and um from what I can tell, that story is not true, but I don't really think it matters because people believe it mm-hmm. and it just adds to the experience of going through the haunted house. Right. It, yeah. it has a lot, listening to it, as a recurring murder that happened in 42, 45, 52, 55. Mm-hmm. I was just like, well, hello, it. Stephen, right? missing you. And then... Uh, um, and also with finding bodies, it reminded me of 
Ed Gein a little bit. Also remind me, I think it was Dahmer who stuffed bodies. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. Gacy. Yeah. So, um, and Kemper. Um, <laughs> Kemper, yep, yep. <laughs> killer du jour in America. Um, so a lot of that feeling. And um, the fun thing is I notice is that the we're going to just call it the Dent Schoolhouse, but it was uh, district sub-district number 12. Um, it closed in 1950. So there would not have been students disappearing in 52 and 55 no. because they weren't there. And right. it was just, so there's inconsistencies in that legitimate history of the building. Right. And not that I want, I don't want to poke holes in the Dent Schoolhouse because it is my ultimate favorite haunted house it's quite a favorite in the in the tri-state area and it it is a creepy building like you know when you're walking into the basement and it's just all that asbestos yeah it's musty you it's damp it's cold and then you have fake dead bodies hanging from the ceiling and it just is creepy and i love that (laughs) as long as it's not real well, it's really popular. Um, I couldn't find, maybe you know better, how long it's been a haunted house attraction. Pretty sure. Um, 1979, 78, around when WBN started it. Started. Because okay. it originally started as, I think, the Boy Scouts. It was just a hodgepodge, them throwing it together. And it just became popular. And it just continued all these years. I don't, It's... And at one point, 97, three took it over. And then this, the people who have it now, I think took it over in the early 2000s. And now it's just, it is what it is. And they've done a fantastic job with it. Honestly. It's a good, it's a good haunted yeah. house. It's been sold out every weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. Cause they are open through COVID, but with far fewer numbers. And um, it, it was just very interesting trying to find the haunted history of this place because there just wasn't a lot of history recorded about it. So it was really a perfect place to do a haunted attraction with an overlay of an urban legend um, or fake lore as some of us folklorists would call it. Um, But it, it just lends enough credence that people are going to believe it, even though the timelines aren't meshing. It doesn't match up. Well, and, and it doesn't really matter. No, but, (laughs) If Other than children 20, really didn't die. children went missing. Like, I just watched the Atlanta Missing Children documentary on HBO. Mm-hmm. They knew their kids were missing. They mm-hmm. made, if there were, it would have been a huge deal. It would have been all over the news. I work at the Enquirer. It would have been, it, we would have, I would have been there for 15 years. I would have heard about it at some point. And then I really wanted to go into the office today to dig in the physical files, but mm-hmm. I haven't been in the office in a while. So, so welcome to our hometown haunt segment of our podcast, where we share your stories that you send to us about your own hometown haunts. I know last week I talked about my haunted Mexican restaurant in Mishawak, Indiana, and Jen shared about the exorcist house in St. Louis. So time for you to share your stories. So if you want, you can send them to our email address, which is cincycuriosities at gmail.com. We will provide that down below as well. Um, for those of you who are listening, it's spelled C-I-N-C-Y-C-U-R-I-O 
S-I-T-I-E-S at gmail.com. <laughs> so our first submission is from Bradley. It takes place somewhere in Ohio at some time. <laughs> and he writes, I had just finished my paper route, the Salem News, and was heading home down Pritchard. Joey's coupe was parked out front of their house. As I passed it, I started rolling down the slight incline of the street, keeping pace with me. Because of the ev <laughs> the evolution, uh, <laughs> elevation of the sidewalk, I could see it was empty. I stopped for obvious reasons. It stopped. I started walking again. It followed me for another 15 to 20 feet before stopping again. But mind you, this was the middle of the afternoon, so it was bright enough that I would have seen if anyone was crouched down inside the car or on the other side pushing it. Joey and his girlfriend, Sarah, were both pranksters, so it was not inconceivable that they saw me coming and decided to punk me. But the profile of the car was too low to even allow that. And that's what Bradley wrote. Thank you, Bradley. That would yeah, be and Brad's an artist, so he's done a, a lot of uh, role-playing game writing and illustration. Over there. And he was haunted by Christine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> he probably would like that. He did, one of the games he wrote was it came from the Late 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 Show. Oh, so. this one is from Anne. Um, she says, when I was two to four years old, we lived in a house in Sl Sladington, Pennsylvania. Slayton, Pennsylvania. Sorry. That, that's okay. <laughs> that was haunted by the builder. When my parents changed things in the house without talking to him, things happened. Footsteps, turning on burners, broken windows, levita levitating toddler. Ooh, fun. Uh, <laughs> apparently he and I had long chats in the basement too. My folks told the people who bought our house what to expect and they didn't listen. We came back and they had removed all all the landscaping and installed floodlights because they were sure it was vandals and they never slept again <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that they, that they you know figured if they would move all that it would stop everything yeah. right <laughs> i mean that's that's a, it's an interesting but i mean what else would you think it would be you know if you're getting you know levitating toddlers that's probably a slightly and and i kind of yeah. want to you know i kind of want to ask ann more about this because yeah it's kind of yeah. a levitating toddler kind of it was almost like yada yadaing it was like you know, yeah yeah <laughs> I may have levitated oh, one or two times when I was a toddler. I mean, you know, that seems that seems like an interesting, you know, just thought. Yeah. It, it listening to her story though, it's a lot of very common motifs that you see in hauntings where you have toddlers talking to somebody that no one else can see, footsteps, turning on burners, turning on TVs broken windows the thing that amazes me is the levitating toddler that uh, <laughs> why are we harnessing that power why isn't that helping with human flight like exactly we need right? to ask more about <laughs> levitating toddlers yes and speaking of toddlers chatting to other people that no one can see christina please read our final story <laughs> uh yes there's a lot of that i, I mean like you said it's a very common haunting uh, this is from Charlie, and she's talking that it was April of 1983. We had just moved into a new two-bedroom apartment in the Imperial Beach, California. Our firstborn daughter was six weeks old. After settling in, the second or third night we were there, we would catch glimpses of someone in our daughter's bedroom. 
we were having difficulties keeping the hot water turned on in the bedroom bathroom just off her room. This went on for several months. Just glimpses here and there and the hot water shutting off every time we tried to wash our hands or shower in her bathroom. When she learned to walk, she would stand on her toes inside the doorway and chatter for hours. Just normal chatter, no tears, no laughter, just chatter. We were not worried that this was someone or something trying to hurt her as her tone was always calm and the fact that the hot water would not stay on. When I was seven months pregnant with our second daughter, January of 1984, my husband in the Navy had barracks duty and was gone overnight. Our oldest daughter had fallen asleep, and as I was getting ready for bed, something changed in the room. Not cold or smoky, just a feeling I was not alone. This happened for several weeks, always on duty nights. When I was about two weeks from my due date with the second daughter, my husband was on duty and I couldn't sleep. Something was just not right. Nothing frightening, just off. I called my husband to feel better about being alone. I was 19 about the time and not that brave. I looked up and standing by the door next to the dresser at the end of the bed stood a young red-haired boy about 17. For some reason, I was not scared, but my husband was a bit shaken on the other end of the phone. The boy just smiled, waved, and vanished. The next night, I went into labor and had our baby girl. The water stayed on in the bathroom off our oldest daughter's room, and she oops, didn't have to, never, heard the, never stood there chatting again. It was rather sad. Later, she said, after researching, we found that a young Irish boy had been killed on his bicycle in front of what was now our apartment building. We never did figure out why he was always shutting off the hot water. Hmm. Is, is, is water stuff like that a common? Yeah, it's pretty common. There's a lot of theory about um, spirits and water. Um, it, it's what I focus more on is the toddler talking to a ghost, basically. And uh, yeah, it's pretty common. I'm kind of disappointed my son doesn't talk to anyone, but we. I guess I don't live in a haunted house, so. Well, no, you tell them to all get out. That's true. I did. That's true. You've already expended all the experience. I was just They're like gone. out, just out. Yeah. But yeah, uh, toddlers talking to unseen ghosts, to the ghosts of grandparents is pretty common. The other thing that happens is toddlers will also talk about past life experiences from time to time that happened to a friend of mine. And if the toddler is able to vocalize it enough, uh, they can tell you who they were, give you actual names, and people have been able to look back and find stories that correlate. So they'll tell you, like, the kids will tell you, like, I died in this horrible building fire, and um, parents will research it and find, indeed, this building had a terrible fire, and somebody died and they were able to point out who they were in pictures and it actually is very similar to how the Dalai Lama is picked so oh interesting yeah it is my yeah. brother did that when he was two or three he really? would say to my mom don't you remember when I was the mom and you were the ch the kid I've heard that a lot yeah and, she, yeah and he doesn't remember doing it but my mom certainly did and I was just like that and I think I when I was young told my mom I was a dog yeah. So maybe I was a dog in a past life. <laughs> do, do people tend to be entangled? You, you can. There's been stories about that. Um, being a dog in a past life, if you're Buddhist, that is quite clearly a possibility. So, because um, you have the wheel of reincarnation. Um, so, and you can get promoted to being a human or be demoted mm -hmm. to being a hungry ghost. 
or a vengeful spirit. So, <laughs> well, maybe being a dog is not necessarily a demotion. It might be. A, it depends on. No, it means I was a very good dog, and I got to be human next. Uh-huh. Maybe you were last. <laughs> but but you know, it, it, maybe it's not a demotion. I, I mean, you know, oh, it was it was kind of yeah. like that joke in Hitchhiker's Guide where people thought they were smarter than than dolphins because they did so much stuff and dolphins thought they were smarter than humans because they didn't do anything yep so long and thanks for all the fish exactly (laughs) so so perhaps you know it's just our narcissism that we think we're smarter than other things and really everybody else is smarter than we are Mm -hmm. could be and mice could be trans-dimensional beings so thank you everyone for joining us for the second episode of the cincinnati cabinet of curiosities hometown haunts podcast If you would like to get in contact with us, there's a variety of ways you can do that. You can email us at cincycuriosities at gmail.com. That's cincy with a Y. Or you can find us at cincy cabinet of curiosities on Instagram or sin cabinet curio on Twitter. And one of us will find your message. And if you have a hometown haunt you would like to share, please email them to us. But you can also message us on probably Twitter and Instagram, though we may not find you as quickly, but please follow that and also follow all of those handles on social media for our progress with our Kickstarter for the Cincinnati Cabinet of Curiosities Comics Anthology issue number one, which will start kickstarting, what is it, October 5th, Christina? Yes, October 5th. Yeah, so yeah, we'll start that October 5th and... Thank you for joining us. Stay spooky, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.